we're starting a new series today around this idea of having a life verse. How many of you have ever heard that term before? Somebody, you know your life verse, or you've heard somebody talk about a life verse before, and you're like, yeah, I know what that is. Some of you maybe aren't so sure. What is a life verse? What does that mean? Are there certain verses in the Bible that are identified as life verses, or maybe that are real popular or common as life verses? And how I understand this term uh, is that it is a scripture or a passage of scripture that has really guided your life, that has been significant to your life in some way. And so it might have been a source of inspiration. It might have been a source of comfort or encouragement. Some people have more than one. They would say, you know, in this season of my life, this was my life verse. In this season of life, it was this. Or when I'm going through this sort of a circumstance, this is one of my go-to verses of Scripture that really helps me to stay centered, to stay focused on who God is and who He says that I am. And so what you might do with a life verse is you might pray it often, you might recite it often, you would memorize it potentially, you might share it with other people, you might go and find some Christian artwork that features that and put that in a place that you'll see it on a regular basis to remind yourself of the significance of that verse. And so in this summer series, we're kicking it off today, I kind of get to set the stage and then walk off the stage as my sabbatical begins in about an hour and 27 minutes. Um, And so I get to share a life verse with you. And then this will sort of loosely tie the next eight or nine weeks together as various speakers come and share their life verse. Some of them have asked permission to kind of deviate from that theme. And we said, absolutely. We don't want to pigeonhole if they have something that's really important for them to share that they were planning to share. But you'll be hearing from a variety of speakers. You'll be hearing from our own uh, pastors, Pastor Keith, Pastor Zach, Pastor Sandy. You'll hear for some guest pastors and speakers. We have Josh McNall, who's a religion professor at Oklahoma Wesleyan. He will be here sharing. We'll have Will Kalhoff, who grew up in this church, coming and sharing uh, from the platform. Very excited about that. You get to hear from Pastor Jake Thurston, who was here a couple of months ago from Resilient Church in Vermilion, where he and a team of people are planting a new church specifically focused on reaching college students, reaching that next generation, empowering them and equipping them and sending them into the world as as ambassadors for Christ. And then you also get to hear from one of our missions partners, Will and Joe Ruck, who have been serving in Japan, will be on furlough this summer, and Will will come, and he will share one of his life verses with you. And so I'm really excited for the breadth and the depth of sharing that you're going to get to hear this summer over the next uh, few months. Pastor Wes Smith, I almost forgot. I think I did forget him. I hope he didn't pay attention to the first service. Pastor Wes Smith, our district superintendent, is going to be here as well. So you're really going to be in for a treat. I know you're going to be well led and well cared for. And one of my hopes is that if you don't have a life verse or you don't know what your life verse is, that over the course of the summer as you hear different people share their story and share their life verse, that God will lead you to a passage or two or three of scripture that are really foundational for you. I know for me personally, as we kind of begin this message where I ask the question, what is your life verse. That's the title of this message. And I want to share mine with you and share some things for you to think about. It was funny for me because I tend to be more in the several category of life verses. I don't just have one. I I can point to certain seasons of my life and I know that this verse was absolutely, or this passage was absolutely my life verse during that season of life. And I have several that I go to on a regular basis. And so as I was thinking about this series and thinking about kicking off this message, I narrowed it down to three or four finalists, which was not easy 
for me to do. And the first one that came to mind was 1 Corinthians 15, 58. If you've ever gotten an email from my Linwood account, you may have noticed it says blessings, comma, Pastor Mark, and right underneath that it says 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This is one of my life verses. And if I would say, what's my life verse in ministry? It's 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where Paul writes to that church in Corinth and he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is never in vain. I can't tell you how many times that verse has come to mind when I was discouraged, when I wondered if anybody was listening, if anybody was paying attention, if anybody was, was benefiting from my ministry. And that verse has come back over and over and over when I was weary or when I was tired or when I was frustrated. I also thought of Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. This was a passage of Scripture that became absolutely foundational to me. In fact, one of the main pivotal moments in my life and my relationship with Christ and really getting serious and pursuing a relationship with Jesus outside of an hour on Sunday once or twice a month. (laughs) When I really got serious about being in the Word, being in a discipleship group, being engaged in ministry on a regular basis, and I think this verse was pivotal in my call to ministry. It was a series that our church did. My senior pastor who called me into ministry, who actually was there when the Lord called me uh, into a saving relationship with Jesus, he preached a series on Hebrews 12. And Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 talks about this idea that therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such sinful treatment from sinful men, lest you grow weary and lose heart. And so that idea of fixing my eyes on Jesus and not taking him off was really formational for me for an extended period of time. And I really couldn't like get away from Isaiah 43. This has been one of the more pivotal chapters of scripture in my life. If you've ever gotten an email from my personal email account, it is signed with verses from Isaiah 43 where God says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. And that verse, that chapter has been so pivotal in my life. And so I was thinking about these. I'm like, how am I going to pick just one? I can't preach on three. And so I was praying through that. But I was really surprised a couple of weeks ago when I realized what my real life verse is. It's a, it's a verse of scripture that I have prayed and written and shared more than any other verse in all my life. In all my time as a Christian, in all my time of following Jesus, in all my time in God's Word, this verse, more than any other, has comforted me, has encouraged me, has guided me, has inspired me, more than any of the three finalists, and all in the last five years. And so it was interesting to me to realize this aha moment, wait, that's my life verse. It's not the ones that I thought it was. This is the verse I pray more than any other. This is the verse that I share with others when they're going through a difficult time more than any other. And so my mind went back to the spring of 2017, just five years ago, almost within a month, (laughs) five years ago. And I've shared before the spring of 2017 wasn't very good. It's not part of my highlight reel, okay? This was the lowest that I had ever gotten in my life. And it's scary to me how low I got by the spring of 2017. 
I was extremely discouraged. I was depressed. I had gotten my identity all mixed up in the wrong things. And in some ways, maybe it was a midlife crisis. Hopefully, you know, at 35, it was, I was a little early for a midlife crisis. <laughs> but I've done a lot of things in life ahead of schedule, I guess. So maybe that was just one of them. And it had elements of that. And I remember going on a silent retreat to a monastery for five days in central Kentucky. And in many ways, it was a last-ditch effort. I remember praying on the way down, God, if you don't show up, I don't know that I'm in ministry anymore. I don't know that I can keep doing this. And I really wasn't expecting that much, to be honest. And so I arrived at this monastery. Ironically, I'll be arriving at the same monastery sometime tomorrow in very different circumstances, okay? Going in full and just eager and excited to spend that time alone with the Lord. But five years ago when I showed up there, I wasn't expecting very much. I didn't have very high hopes. And I got checked in and they gave me a little map and showed me how to get to my thing. And they said, oh, the worship service is starting in just a moment. There's actually seven worship services a day. They call it the liturgy of the hours. They start while it's still dark and they have these different times throughout the day and the bells ring and the monks sing and they have time of sharing the word and sharing prayers and singing psalms. And one was starting. And so I walked through the back of the sanctuary because that's the way the place was built. I had to walk through the sanctuary to get to my room. And the first thing I hear when I walk into that sanctuary and smell the incense that they always have burning was the monks singing this phrase, Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And it stopped me in my tracks. I was not planning to stay for that, but it was the, it was the midday one, one of the midday ones. It was relatively short, and I just listened, and they end up reciting this at the end as well. This refrain, Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And that was kind of the first indication that maybe... God was going to meet me in this week. Maybe things were going to be different when I left than they were when I came. And I remember that night, I'd heard it once or two more times at at various uh, times of, of worship. I wrote it in my journal. I said, oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And as of the course of those next few days, I started praying that. And I spent one day where I went to all seven of these liturgy of the hours. I set the alarm and I got up super early and I made it down there. And that ended up being the longest one. For over an hour and a half, these monks were reading scripture and somebody shared a message. And they sang hymns and they sang the psalms. And, they, and I did that throughout that day. And I noticed that this was more than any other. This was the verse that they sang or recited the most two or three or four times in every one of these seven worship services that they do throughout the, throughout the day. And so my little nerd brain got going on that, and I was like, you know, the guy that shared the first night on what to expect on a silent retreat said he had been at this monastery for 33 years. And so I thought, okay, let's call it three times in every one of these seven liturgy of the hours. That's over 20 times a day. These guys do this every single day, seven days a week. They, it's all conjoined. So even if they get two feet of snow, they still show up and they, they sing the Psalms and they pray. And so this guy, 20 times a week, 52 weeks a year, that's like, I'm sorry, 20 times a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. It came out to about 7,000 times a year. They sing. Oh, God, please come to my assistance. Oh, Lord, make haste to help me. This guy had been there 33 years. He was coming up on 
quarter of a million times that he had recited this psalm. And so I started reciting. I started breath praying it. You can kind of pray it, breathing in. Oh God, please come to my assistance. Breathe out. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And I started writing it in my journal on a regular basis. And you know what? He did. God did come to my assistance. The Lord did make haste to help me. That week and the weeks to follow, in the days since, he's still doing it. He's still showing up. I share this verse for people that are going through a really difficult time, a really difficult season. I'll say, you might try crying out to God with this prayer. Working that into the fabric of your soul is your first response. And it became a powerful week of reconnecting with God, rebuilding my faith in him, rebuilding my identity in him, revealing my calling in ministry. And so two weeks ago, when I'm going through my banding together journal and I read my New Testament chapter and then I read my Old Testament psalm, there it is, Psalm 70, verse 1. And it was a little different translation, but I knew the moment I read those words, I was like, ah, oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. I still write this in my journal at least once a week, sometimes more often, especially if I'm freaking out over something, I'll pray this prayer or I'll, I'll write this prayer out. And I knew in that moment, God said, this is your life first. Do you realize that? This is your life first. And so I'm excited to share Psalm 70 with you. I want to preach through that. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can open it up in the room here, those hardcover blue Bibles. It's on page 906. If you're joining us online, so glad that you found us. It's going to be on the screen, but I also encourage you to open it up in a a Bible in your, your translation that you're used to. I'm going to read it from the New Revised Standard Version. So it will be different than the Pew Bible. Usually we line those up. But the New Revised Standard Version actually gets closer to the language that they sang it in. Um, and the language that I've learned it in and prayed it in. This is a psalm that's written by David. This is a very short psalm. It's only five verses. It mirrors a passage that's contained in Psalm 40 as well, verses 13 through 16. So it's so good that David basically put it in the hymnal twice. (laughs) You know, that's what the psalms are. They're the Hebrew hymnal. And David wrote the majority of them, and this is one that these words appear multiple times, this concept of crying out to God, begging him to come and to help. And so uh, as we read this together, we'll go through it straight uh, through, and then we'll back up and kind of walk through it verse by verse. But he says in verse 1, Be pleased, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire to hurt me. Let those who say, Aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. And so we see here in verse 1, this verse that I've already shared multiple times, this verse that, that I've written and prayed and shared with others over and over. We see a humble but passionate twofold request for deliverance and help. The psalmist, David in this case, is crying out to God and saying, I am in a tough spot. And if you don't help me, I don't have any hope. Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. There is a sense of urgency and desperation. And we see in the verses that come that David, when he writes this and those that would sing this, they were in immediate danger, immediate peril. 
And I think this highlights the power of crying out to God that there is an invitation by God. This is included in Holy Scripture for a reason that God is inviting us to cry out to Him when we are in danger, to cry out to Him when we are in trouble, to cry out to Him when we don't see any other way. And so often we wait until the last resort instead of making prayer our first response. But he invites us nonetheless. He invites us just the same to cry out to him and to cry out to him over and over again. So never underestimate the power of crying out to God when you feel like you have no hope or when you feel in despair. Verse 2 and 3 give us sort of the immediate context that this is a specific prayer for deliverance from enemies. He says, let those who be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. So he's basically saying, there's people that are after me. There's people that want to bring me down, that literally want to kill me. And I pray, David is saying, I pray that they would be put to shame and confusion, that their plans would be thwarted, that they would be ashamed of what they have chosen to do, that those who would be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire to hurt me. The people who say, aha, aha, we got you now. We've got you cornered. Would turn back because of their shame. Now, it's interesting to me, in 2017, my biggest enemies were spiritual. Nobody was literally trying to kill me, okay? Nobody was, it wasn't like that. But I had an enemy that was working overtime to bring me down. And he was being pretty effective. And I was, in some ways, allowing that. That there was spiritual warfare that was going on in my life, and I'd say that is still the case. My biggest enemies are spiritual, and I believe your biggest enemies are spiritual. I believe David's biggest enemies were spiritual, even when there were people that were literally trying to kill him. And we don't know specifically which time this was, but if you read the story of David in First and Second Samuel, you see that there were a lot of times people were trying to kill him. Sometimes it was his own kids or his own loyal subjects that were trying to kill him. And yet his biggest enemies... We're spiritual, not physical. How do I know that? Well, Ephesians 6.12 tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Really important verse to remember, especially when you're in conflict with another person. When somebody's under your skin or somebody's actively seeking to undermine you, Paul is saying... The enemy that we all have, that we all share, Satan is working through that person to bring you into conflict, to discourage you, to bring you down. And there were some people, there were some individuals at that time that I would say were the focal point, and yet Paul is telling me my war was not with those individuals. My war was against the enemy, and the enemy was working overtime, and you have an enemy that is working overtime. He hates you. He hates everything about you. He is pretty powerful, and he is trying to bring you down. The good news is that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, and that Jesus said, even though you will have troubles and you will have trials in this life, take heart because I have overcome the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And it's helpful to remember that in trials. And it's helpful to remember that in conflict. And the enemy works through other people. He also works through deception. He works through self-pity. He works through depression. He works through anger. He works through anxiety. My biggest problem in the spring of 2017 was that I had directed my anger towards God. Not towards Satan, but towards God. Through self-deception, through deception from the enemy, through self-pity, I had gotten this idea that God should have shown up and fixed my problems, and he hadn't. And therefore, he wasn't to be relied upon. And that's a problem when you're in ministry. 
That's a problem when you're not in ministry. If you get turned against God, your goose is cooked. And my goose was cooked. And I had started to turn away from the one real source of hope that I had. And I'm so thankful my wife said, you really need to go on that spiritual retreat and you need to reconnect with God. He's not your problem. And fortunately, the first words that I heard when I stepped into that place were encouraging me to cry out to him again, anew and afresh. And now I often write out and recite these truths. I write out scripture every day. You should too. I write out prayers like this and write out affirmations about who I am to God, who he says I am, who he says he is, what he's doing in this world. I write it out. I go on the offensive instead of waiting and being on the defensive. And I believe you should too. I think that we have to saturate ourselves with the truth daily. Our enemy never ceases. Why should we? He doesn't take a day off. Why should we? We have to remind ourselves of the truth every single day about who we are, who God is, what he's doing in this world, what he invites us to do in this world, so that when the enemy comes against us, his arrows don't lodge. They bounce off of us. His lies don't stick. They slide off of us because we're so ingrained in the truth. Early on in my ministry here in 2018, I preached a series called What's True About You? I've referenced it more than any other series I've done. And if you have not listened to it, or if you haven't listened to it recently, I would encourage you to go find it. It's on our website. Go to sermons, go to past sermons, go to 2018. It's purple and white. What's true about you? Listen to those four messages. Be reminded what is true about you. That if you are in Christ, you are a beloved child of God in whom Christ dwells and delights. That you are safe and secure in his strong and unshakable kingdom, which is never in trouble. That you're never lost or alone because Jesus is always with you and he's not lost. And that you're enough because he says you're enough. And you have nothing to prove to anyone at any time for any reason. You've got to remind yourself of that over and over and over again. And I think that's maybe what David does next in verse 4. It's a prayer. It's a prayer for the faithful. It's a prayer, I think, for himself. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. David is seeking God. Let all who seek you, myself included, God, Let them rejoice and be glad. So God, let me rejoice and be glad in you. Let me delight in you. And let all who love your salvation, David, first and foremost, say evermore, God is great. He's praying for those who are seeking God to rejoice and be glad in God. For those who love salvation to declare that God is great, to praise God, but also to proclaim to God, not only are you great, Lord, but hey, everybody, God is great. (laughs) Even though I'm going through this trial and sometimes the praises that we give to God and the proclamation that God is great in the middle of a trial does more for our witness in this world than any other time. Because people are seeing, they see what we're going through. They know about the the diagnosis or they know about the trials or they know about the difficulties. They know about the job loss or the financial burden. And they see you praising God and saying God is great. And they say, man, maybe there really is something to this. Maybe they're not just a fair weather fan of God. Maybe they really believe this stuff. And I think this also highlights the power of an eternal perspective. That David recognizes that in the midst of our difficulties, the temptation is to look down and to get focused on what is going on in us and around us. And he's saying, look up. Look up at God. Look out. Get an eternal perspective. Try to see the circumstances from God's perspective. 
try to see the circumstances, difficult as it might be, from the eternal perspective, that eternity has been secured for us in the person of Jesus Christ, that we can spend eternity with God in his presence because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And so this trial, as big as it may seem and as difficult as it may seem, is temporary in the scope of an eternity spent worshiping God in his presence. And I know that's hard to do when you're feeling overwhelmed and abandoned. That's why I encourage people to get in the habit of it before you're in that difficult circumstance. Be praying God's word. Be reciting God's word. Be baking his promises into the fabric of your life when, when you're on the mountaintop so that when you're in the valley, you have tools at your disposal. You have reminders. You have words of life that well in your heart. David said, Let your, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then in verse 5, I think we see it kind of bring it full circle. David is reminding himself of who he is and where his hope will come from, where his help will come from. He says in verse 5, but I am poor and needy. Right now, in this circumstance, at this moment, this snapshot, I'm poor and needy, Lord. Hasten to me, O God. Come quickly. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Too often we try everything else first, right? We try to fix it ourselves and we Google it and we do all the other things that we think of to do and then we cry out to God. I think David's saying, you know, you're my help. You're my deliverer. If help is going to come, it's going to come from you. And he's crying out to God and he's reminding himself and reminding God, hey, I'm poor and needy. If help's going to come, it's going to come from you. Please hurry. Don't delay. And I believe God never does. He always shows up right on time. His love never fails. And I don't think I would have learned what I learned. And I don't think I would have developed the deep roots that I developed if I had gotten that answer to prayer months before this. And so sometimes we get to that point of desperation because then we latch on to God and we never let go. And so if you're going through a difficult time, I want to just encourage you, keep praying, keep crying out, keep seeking, as he says in verse 4. And God will meet you. So bottom line today. You might be wondering, is he going to have a bottom line? I'm running out of time. <laughs> Our bottom line today. Your life needs a life verse. Your life needs a life verse. And if you don't have one, I really want to encourage you to get one. And if you do have one, I want to encourage you to share it. Why? Because every life needs a life verse. Every life in this room needs a life verse, a truth, a promise from God, from Scripture that points us to him unequivocally, that reminds us who he is, who he says we are, what he's doing in this world, and what our part to play is. Your life needs a life verse, and you need to share your life verse, because if you don't tell your story and tell the story about how God intersected your life and how his word has informed you and given you truth, then your story doesn't get told. It's unique to you. If you don't tell it, People don't hear it. So your life needs a life verse. Every life needs a life verse. Figure out what yours is and then share it. I want to encourage you, if you're on social media, share your life verse on social media today or sometime in the future or as you go on a journey of determining what's my life verse and really pray through that and say, God, help me 
help me make a list. Maybe there are several. Maybe I can look at different seasons of my life. And when I was a parent, this was my life verse. And when I was this, this was my life verse. And when I got fired and treated unjustly at work, this was my life verse. Whatever it is, have those and be able to share those because God will send people to you that are going through similar circumstances. And you can say, you know what? I went through a season that might have been similar to what you're going through now. And this was a verse that really got me through that. And share that life verse with them and let it bring life to them. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know, I'm not quite sure what my life verse is. Well, we've got some help for you. We're actually going to encourage you over the next 100 days to read the Essential 100. This is a list of Bible verses that has been created. These are passages of Scripture. Some are up to a couple of chapters long. Others are shorter. Might be just a passage of verse, eight or ten verses. Uh, But these are sort of what have been agreed upon by a number of people as if you were just going to read 100 passages of Scripture... These would be essential in understanding kind of the big picture. And so over the next 100 days, Linwood's Facebook page and Linwood's Instagram account are going to be sharing the E100 as a Bible reading plan. If you're in the Bible app, you can pick up the Bible app and start the E100 or the Essential 100 reading plan and go through it that way. We'll also be posting a verse, a verse image, and the link to the reading plan every day for the next 100 days. Now, some of you might be saying, now, didn't Pastor Mark say he was going on a social media fast as he goes into sabbatical? Yes. And one of the hardest parts about that for me was that I have posted a scripture every single day for the last eight plus years. And I thought, well, if I don't post scripture, all these people aren't going to get the Bible, right? And so I, I was like, no, God, I really think you're calling me to disconnect from that and to step away from that. And that's where this idea came in. And uh, Pastor Ryan has been gracious enough to say, you know what? I'll take that on. For the next 100 days, I'll post it on Linwood. So if you're not already following Linwood, those of you in the room, come on. You should be following Linwood if you're on social media, right? Go to our Facebook page. Go to our Instagram account. Follow it. See it first. Sometimes you have to do that. You've got to beat the algorithm. And you'll see scripture every day, and it will encourage you. And I would bet you a nickel that the majority of the life verses in this room probably come from those E100 passages. Old Testament, New Testament. If you're not on social media, God bless you. You get a big thumbs up from me. I'm not either in about an hour. Um, So we have printout as well. And you can pick this up over by the glass door into the office area. We have the E100 reading plan. We'll also send this out um, in our digital bulletin. We'll link to this so that you can follow along. And this will be a neat way if you want to stay spiritually connected to me while I'm on sabbatical. I'm going to be reading these every day. And so we would be spending 15 minutes a day in God's Word together. So that would be fun too. All right. Enough of all of that. As we close this service and as we bring our thoughts back to that life verse, for me anyway, of, oh God, please come to my assistance, oh Lord, make haste to help me. We're going to give you an opportunity to be anointed and prayed over today. Maybe you're going through a season of life where you're really crying out to God and you want somebody to pray for you and pray on your behalf. You can come down. I'll be over in this corner. Pastor Ryan will be back by those doors to the fellowship hall. Pastor Sandy will be back by the doors to Kidsway. And Pastor Zach will come down in this corner. Just feel free to move about the room over these next few minutes. Come to one of us. We'll anoint you and scripture tells us to do. We'll pray for you, whatever's on your heart. And I believe God will move in this time. So, let me pray for us, and then let's, let's begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. 
thank you for the invitation to cry out to you, that you long to hear what is on our hearts, that you love it when we intercede for each other, that you care for us even when we can't see it or understand it, that you're with us on the mountaintops and in the darkest valleys. And so I pray, Lord, for every person hearing this message that needs to cry out to you. May they whisper these words with me. Oh God, please come to my assistance. Oh Lord, make haste to help me. And may they experience your spirit. May they experience a touch from a friend, an encouraging word. May they experience your power and your presence in their lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.